Okay. What are you most excited about with Little Mercer's birthday party? Um, I think it's just having all of our friends and family at the house. Mm -hmm. I think this is almost like a birthday party slash housewarming party. Yes, I would so agree with that. I, I, I would have hoped to have more things on the wall, mm -hmm. like our engagement photos. Sure. All of that stuff, but you know. Well, I guess you're not going into work tomorrow then, and you're just going to spend nah, the whole day. I got to go to, I got, I got shit to do. You got to make that money? Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of making money, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Punk Rock Barbershop. Black artists and black creatives talking about their origin stories, their life's journey, their career trajectory with a particular focus on the white artists that have influenced them and how they feel about those influences. I am your host, Michael Robertson-Reed, coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. And uh, this week is, is capping off a week of, of family interviews, so... Um, so this is my chance to have my John Krasinski and Emily Blunt moment. So uh, I have a very special guest today. Uh, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, my name is Naomi Robertson-Reed. Uh, not native Philadelphian, but close. But close. Of, you know, I think I've spent a third of my life. Sure. In Philadelphia, so close enough. I, I birthed a native Philadelphian. You did. You so did. I'm a Philadelphian. Yes. So if there's birthright citizenship for Philadelphians, Mercer Douglas Robertson Reed is uh he can he can run for president of Philadelphia. Yes, yes. Uh and it might happen, you never know. It might. You never know. You never know. Um so I'm sure people have probably pieced all of this together, but what is, who are you in relationship to me? Not who are you total because, you know, you're your own unique person. But how do we know each other? Uh, we are heterosexual life partners. Yes. We're, we're, we're married to each other. You're married I'm to your, each I'm other. I'm your husband. Yes. <laughs> heterosexual constant chum. Yes, yes. Uh yeah, and we, lifetime roommate. Lifetime lifetime roommate. That's, baby daddy. Yeah, baby daddy and uh all that good stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm your hubby, you're my yes. wife. Yes. So uh yeah, so this is kind of cool. So so let's dive right in. Tell us your origin story. Where are you from? Where were you born? So I was born uh in St. Luke's Hospital in uh, New York City. I'm a Harlemite by by uh, by birth mm -hmm. again, birthright. Um, lived in Harlem for a little bit of my childhood. Then we moved to Brooklyn for a little bit, and then to North Jersey. Uh, and then at the ripe age of 12 years old, I moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Excellent. On the west side of, of the state On of Michigan. On the west side of the state. So, so when you do the, you know, the hand, mm -hmm. we're like, I mean, clearly you can't see this because, right. you know, 
podcasting, but I'm showing my husband where Grand Rapids is in relation to the, the old mint thingy. Right. Which is funny that you're showing me that because I've been to Grand Rapids and I, I know where it is. So I've, we've we've gone there several times. Several times. So several the, times. the people who would actually benefit from seeing where it is can't can't see it. But they I can look it up on a map. It's fine. Yes. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So uh, what? Describe your family a little bit. I mean, you you, you got You come from a pretty big family. You got I f- do. Yeah. So I have um, four older brothers, mm-hmm. and I have one older sister. Um, my I'm the baby of the family, so there are six siblings. Um, we're definitely uh, I call us the Hood Brady Bunch because it's a little bit of my mama and a little bit of my daddy, mm-hmm. and then um, somehow. Myself and my brother Robert kind of brought us all together. Sure, sure. Somehow. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so I'm the baby of the family. My sister Khadijah is the oldest. So we're kind of bookends, and then mm-hmm. the boys are in the middle. The, the men are in the middle. Um, I am the baby, baby of the family. So the youngest after me, who is my brother Sean was born 12 years before me. So he okay. was 12 years old when I was born. And um, my sister was 17 when I was born, Okay, almost turning 18. Yeah. So she was on her way to college um, in the fall, and I was born in the spring of 1983. So, yeah, so the boys were in the middle. Uh, uh, I was going to call her Tina. But uh, that's because that's what we called her. Her her, um, her her birth name is Regina, but yes. she went by Tina. She yes. has subs. She has since changed her name. Yes. So my sister, uh, like I said, she was going off to college. So I was kind of left uh, with the boys for most of my childhood. Um, yeah, and that was interesting being around four older older dudes yeah um, yeah who i affectionately call the goons Mm because they they've always taken care of me and always kind of been around so yeah uh my mama and daddy are eddie and jackie yes they're quite the pair yes they are uh quite the individuals yes yeah uh and what did uh how did they make their racket what did they do for a living they were both in the medical field so uh, my daddy uh, had worked in hospitals for quite some time. Um, he uh, oversaw or kind of, yeah, he used to oversee surgeries and um, not oversee them, but he would pass. So basically he would pass like the instruments to the doctors. Oh, that's and, what he did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he did that in um, an ophthalmologist uh, for an ophthalmologist. And uh, I think he also did that in the ER as well. Um, and then he moved on to what they call central processing, which is how they clean the instruments, mm-hmm. uh, for surgery. So little known fact, the instruments that you are operated on with, uh, they are not new. They are, they are cleaned, cleaned, but <laughs> because it would be very pricey yes. to get new instruments and equipment for your surgery. So they're cleaned. Um, they have lots of different 
machines and all of that stuff. So he was formally trained in that. And uh, that's what he did for a good amount of his career. Okay. And then my mama um, also was uh, the person who handed the instruments and the equipment to doctors in surgery. But then she decided that she wanted to become an x-ray tech. So she went to school for that. And that's what she did for, I want to say, maybe 30 years. So okay. she, she was an x-ray tech. She also did uh, CT scans and, uh, and mammographies. So basically mm-hmm. she was a, a radiology tech. Okay. Yep. And did your did Eddie ever do um, X-ray tech stuff, or was he was he the the instrument man? He was the instrument man. Yeah, he never okay. did. He never did X-ray tech. Okay. See this this whole time that we've been married, I've I've been working under the assumption that he was an X-ray tech along with your with your mom. So I, I've I've been incorrect. Yeah. No. They actually they met in an OR. Okay. So they met in an operating room. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So that they worked at the same hospital, Beth Israel Hospital in Lower Manhattan. Uh, yeah, that's how. They, yeah, they worked there for for a while, and then my mom moved to Cabrini Hospital, which is really close to Beth Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she got her radiology degree. And your dad's side of the family is from the American South. They are from the American South, Savannah, Georgia, representing um, their. Uh, Shout out to Savannah, Georgia. Shout out to Savannah, Shout Georgia. Shout out to uh, Antoine Big Boy Patton. Absolutely. I believe he grew up I, in Savannah until like, he was a kid or something. Yeah. All right. Um, big Boy, if you're listening to this, shout out to you and shout out to all the good people in Savannah. Absolutely. It, rumored to be uh, one of the most haunted cities yeah. in America. Yeah. And we actually, we visited there for our honeymoon. We did. We did. It's very cool. Uh, but yeah. He's from you and Sa- me, not not you and Big Boy. Nah. You're, not, you're not married to him yeah. that I know of. Mm. I mean, I'm just saying that I know of. You could be married to him, but I don't. I don't. I don't have any proof of that. Exactly. Mm-hmm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they're from Savannah. Um, they're uh, uh, very Creole, very Gullah. Um, if you and you've met some of my my family from yes. Savannah and from. Um, you know, lower South Carolina, you can definitely tell that they have that Gullah accent about them and just kind of way about them. So it's really uh, cool and interesting um, having having gotten to know mm-hmm. them um, and just kind of how how different it is and how amazing that they've been able to like keep that culture and yeah. keep keep that 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 way about them mm-hmm. for so long. So. And your mom's family is from St. Croix, My right? mom's family is from St. Croix, USBI. And was, and was your grandmother born in St. Croix? My grandmother was born in St. Croix. Okay. Um, she left uh, very early on in her childhood. Um, but I want to say she was the youngest of her family, and the rest of her siblings had lived there for a while. I definitely know my uncle Anselmo, mm-hmm. which is um, probably the, the closest family member that we had the oldest at least the oldest living family member that I knew um he didn't come to the states until he was in his 20s yeah wow yeah yep and do you know what motive- state side yeah. because, sure you know, yeah it's it's a U.S. territory it's a, it is right? a U.S. territory yep uh and so I mean I'm assuming people like I mean you can just move from the U.S. Yeah. to the mainland yep. yeah yeah at least I don't know you know like what the procedure was right. back then 
Um, I feel like I, I don't know when uh, St. Croix and St. Thomas and St. John became a territory. Sure. But I, I'm going to assume that there was like some, you know, some intricacies back in the yeah. in the early 20s and 30s when they yeah. moved over. But uh, yeah, but now it's, you know, no passport. Mm-hmm. Good to go. You can go whenever you want. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that uh, folks in the USVIs can vote in presidential primaries? They can't vote in the general election, but they can vote in the primaries. That's so weird. Yeah. So um, Puerto Rico, USVI, and Guam, they can they can vote in the primaries. Okay. They, so they can vote in the primaries, but they can't vote in the general election. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I I have no idea how, like, why that is. Yeah. It's, uh, there must I, be some party shit. You know, I don't know. Well, yeah. well, and actually, what's um, what's interesting is that the first, so similar to D.C., I know USVI has a delegate to Congress. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the guy that was the first delegate from the U.S. Virgin Islands in the '70s was actually was a Republican. Ah, um, and apparently, like, I mean, and the you know, I think he was. A member of the Congressional Black Caucus. I mean, he was he was treated like I don't know the the Black Democrats in the seventies got along with him mm-hmm. very well. I don't know, maybe because they didn't want to seem like they were crapping on someone from uh, from, from the, the right. from the Caribbean. Right, so right. Uh, okay, so um, so so you you grew up you spent your formative years in New York, yeah. and a, you know a little bit of that time in northern North New Jersey. So like I mean so like what was it like living in you were a kid in New York City and you were a, yeah. a kid in the eighties yes. the pre Giuliani yes. pre uh, Times Square is Disneyland yes. yeah yeah 80s. I remember when Dinkins was elected do you know how old you were I was young but I just remember it being a big deal yeah it was very very it was very very big, big deal, deal. Um, but yeah I mean I remember. I remember Times Square being what Times Square was in the mm-hmm. in the eighties. Nothing, yeah, but peep shows and you know peep shows. Peep, yeah, peep shows, muggings, uh, the squeegee men. Yes, using a very dirty newspaper to wipe down exactly. your windshield, and if you didn't exactly. give them money, they'd spit on it. Exactly, pretty much. Um, and Harlem being what it was at the time, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean it. It. I think that, uh, you know, you, when you're a kid in it, you don't really understand how, how no, I don't want to say crappy, but just how, like, intense, mm-hmm. how intense yeah. it was. Um, you know, I, I remember playing in empty lots yeah. as a kid. Like, you know, I'm always reminded of, like, the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Uh, video the mm-hmm. message yeah and like seeing the kids playing you know yeah playing in empty lots and all like I was that kid yeah. like I it could have that could have been me um but it was still fun like Harlem was yeah. still fun Harlem was home Harlem mm-hmm. has always been home so as a kid I don't really remember or I don't remember feeling the weight of it mm-hmm. but as an adult looking back it's like yeah. wow you know that's a, that's a lot yeah, and uh, something was. Uh, I had a recent conversation with Uncle Poochie. Uh huh. Um, so, so for the thirteen people that are listening to this, 
Uh, there is a gentleman named Edwin who is Naomi's uncle, but he goes by Poochie, so we refer to him as Uncle Poochie within the family. So he was talking about uh, you know, living in Harlem, and when he was a kid, he said that what they would do sometimes is they would be looking out their window and they would see the people who were, you know, like using heroin yeah, yeah. and they would hide their needles like, you know, under trash cans or underneath bricks and stuff. So then they would go out of their apartment and then they would move the needles so that when this person came back, they would be super flustered that they couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like listening to this. It's like that's the game. Like, yeah. that's like that was the entertainment. Right. And that's like, you know, so as a as a parent with a one year old. That's a terrifying game for me to think about of like, I mean, one, the fact that, you know, there's uh, people just using drugs out in the open is such a fact of life that Mm -hmm. like it even crosses your mind to be like, oh, I know what we're going to do. I know what we're going to do as a goof. Mm -hmm. You know, in in Altadena, we TP'd people's houses. (laughs) Uh, So like, so that's just like, wow, yeah, that's intense. And then I'm just thinking about the fact that like, little kids are like picking up needles like mm-hmm. that's that's super frightening yeah, you know yeah. i mean luckily yeah. poochie is okay nothing happened to him but i'm like that's that's insane yeah and it i it it almost reminds me of what i'm gonna assume because i haven't been uh to kensington in quite some time but uh you know the the most populist you know populist op- open air drug market yeah. is right here in the city of philadelphia mm-hmm. uh and i that's how I grew up. I mean, yeah. I, there were syringes all over the right. place. And you definitely, as a kid, like we didn't wear, we wore sandals, but right. you had to be really, really careful mm-hmm. because you could step on a needle. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up in, um, in a time where I was born in 83. So, you know, the AIDS epidemic was very new mm-hmm. and very scary. So yeah. you just never knew what you never knew. You just yeah. didn't know. So, um, so that was you, it was kind of ingrained in us to be very careful and and look down on the ground yeah. and and all of that stuff. Yeah, and it's you know it's super interesting that you mention that because you know as you know I work in Kensington, um, and this is really my the year that I've been working in Kensington is really the first time that I've spent the most time there. So it was definitely a culture shock being in certain parts of Kensington. I mean, and then the other interesting thing is um, it's really uh, after you cross like certain streets, because I mean like, like where our office is, if, if you, if you never went onto those particular streets, you would literally have no idea. Right. Like you, you would have no idea. I mean, and it, it kind of baffles me how within a five minute walk, you can because the like the streets on on the north uh, you know on the you know like the north side of i street mm-hmm. they're they're extremely similar to like a lot of the houses around here and then you know you turn a couple of places and it's like wow like it's really happening but i mean even uh like a week ago i was just you know i needed to get some fresh air so i was walking down one particular street and there was a person you know like preparing their heroin like right in front of me and you know, someone had ripped someone else off, like, I don't know, like either in a purchase or like stole their wallet and they're chasing them and people are just sort of like standing around being like, mm, you know, like another day. Exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. Like this is just something that happens. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly can't. I I think about like what it has to be like 
for like kids that are growing up mm-hmm. there. You know, I mean, and I mean, there is a community pool around the corner from our office. And, you know, I mean, and you know this because you're from the cities is that it's not one thing or another. Like it's it's not a just complete depravity and insanity. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of it, you know, but there's a lot of love. There's a lot mm-hmm. of warmth. Right. Right. There's a lot of challenges. You know, there are families with, you know, many from many different economic stripes and, and backgrounds. But yeah, I mean, I just sort of like, you know, I can't help but feel like there's a certain kind of uh, shell that you have to develop just for your own mental sanity. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of shells. There's a shell of like protection, mm-hmm. both physically and emotionally and mentally. Um, yeah, so there's 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 many shells yeah. that you have to kind of put, put on yeah. or armor yourself with in order to just kind of survive. Yeah. In something like that. Yeah. And, the, you know, the the other thing that I'm wondering about, too, is, um, you know, so we obviously you and I, we, we go up to New York a fair amount to mm-hmm. visit your family. And I remember when you drove when we were driving past the apartment complex that you grew up in mm-hmm. in Harlem at 135th and, and Broadway. Mm-hmm. And it's just like these mountainous towers yeah. of brick. Yeah. And then. I mean, there's just like, there's no grass anywhere. There's no. just concrete. And I feel like it's like across the street from a subway line, like from an elevated mm-hmm. train. So yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's just metal and steel and brick everywhere. And then I'm, you know, thinking about the houses that I grew up in, which, you know, were not huge by any stretch of the imagination, but they were on quiet streets. With, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I lived in two apartment complexes as a kid, but it was like, oh, the apartment complex where... You know, this woman lives who, you know, like she's studying to be an investment banker and she just right. graduated from school, right. not like a bazillion families right. in right. these tiny apartments right. that I would imagine sometimes the elevator works, sometimes yeah. it didn't, sometimes yeah. the heat works, sometimes it didn't, yeah. you know. Uh, so, I mean, like what, you know, what was that like? And, and what was it just like being in a space with a rather large family? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in. 3333 Broadway, um, the the building that I grew up, at, at least I was born there, um, didn't really grow up there. I think we, we moved out of there in, I want to say, 87, 88, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we we had one of the biggest apartments, mm-hmm. which doesn't say much. I mean, right. we had like a probably a three-bedroom apartment in, uh, in that building. But the building, as you know, is huge. Yeah. Um, and we lived on on a twenty floor, so we yeah. were I want to say either twenty fifth or twenty eighth floor. And there definitely were times where the elevator didn't work, so yeah. it's you have to walk up twenty five flights of yeah. stairs. Um, I think the great thing, the beautiful thing about New York, one of the beautiful things about New York is that even though there are lots of buildings and lots of you know just congestion, there are opportunities for for green Mm -hmm. so at least you know you can walk within a couple of blocks and find some type of park yeah some type of outdoor space um a lot of the apartment buildings especially the the public housing spaces have playgrounds like either like right in the middle Mm -hmm. of the courtyard or something like that now how safe those playgrounds were very different thing but at least there was something right sure um 
so as a kid, I remember going to like Morningside Park um, a lot. Uh, of course, Central Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even when we moved to Brooklyn, going to Prospect Park often. So, you know, we found our green spaces. Um, as you know, the apartment that we lived in in Brooklyn was almost kitty corner to the Brooklyn Children's Museum. Yes. So that was always a really, really cool place to go and just kind of get out of the house, yeah. you know. And I must say Brooklyn, especially at that time, just wasn't as populous as, right, yeah. as Manhattan because it just isn't, right? So um, we definitely had more space. Mm-hmm. Our apartment didn't have any more space. We were in like a one-bedroom apartment at that at that point um, because all the boys had moved out. So it was just me, my mom, and my dad. Um, but there was just it just wasn't as many people there there was more space around in the yeah. in the neighborhood yeah just yeah, uh, yeah. so i see you you did the inverse the apartment exactly. got smaller but the the surrounding exactly. topography there was more yeah uh all right and so to the a uh, couple of questions yeah. one to the degree that you can remember when you were a little kid i mean did you have any idea of the historical and cultural significance of harlem or was it just like oh this is where i live um I think I think all people who are born in Harlem or have some type of like birth connection to Harlem feel like Harlem is the best place ever. So I, sure. I grew up believing that Harlem was like the best place ever. But in the way that I mean, so like I felt that way about California, like uh-huh. not like not based on anything historically significant but i think just like the fact like oh well hollywood is here right right and it, yeah it just it seemed like every tv show and movie took place in california so i'm like oh yeah well we have hollywood and we have disneyland so that makes us better you know it wasn't necessarily you know i wasn't aware of like the jazz culture of uh-huh. south central mm-hmm. in spite of you know my dad and my grandpa's best efforts to educate me i was right. like whatever you know uh universal studios is here so right right yeah i mean i think Especially having four brothers who were definitely in the hip hop. Um, yeah, I just I grew up believing that like Harlem was just like the only the only place gotcha. to to be mm-hmm. the only place to like to live. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, to what degree did you have? So a couple of things. One, like, to what degree did you have any exposure? to say Queens or Midtown Manhattan. I mean like the, the were those things that ever happened? Definitely not Queens. Mm-hmm. Um Midtown. Yeah, I mean to like get to Brooklyn or sure. to get to gotcha. Jersey. Yeah. But was, that yeah, it was uh, it was a conduit. Through. Yeah, I mean yeah. like that was where the port, you know, the yeah, it was just a conduit to like right. get somewhere else. Yeah, you, you you weren't going down to uh I don't know, Midtown to see a show and then uh No, no. Mm-mm. You know. Every once in a while we would magazine right. <laughs> Every once in a while we would go to a Broadway show. Okay, my mom and I. I mean, we definitely um, would always go to the Macy's on Fifth Avenue. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd like during Christmas time. Gotcha. Or, yeah, so that we would do that. Yeah, those were like traditions of ours. But right. it was all about Harlem. Mm-hmm. Even when we moved to Brooklyn, it was sure, all about it was Harlem. all about Harlem. Yeah, like we didn't, and even even when we moved to Jersey, it was all mm-hmm, about Harlem. Mm-hmm. Like that, like those places were just places we stayed, but yeah. they weren't necessarily places we lived. Right. Oh, hey, that's that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. So so Harlem was always in your heart. Yeah. And then, um, like, to what degree did you have 
any interaction, not just with white people, but like any non-black people. Because, I mean, you know, Harlem then was like super, super. Right. right. Harlem, a lot of Brooklyn. You know, I mean, and you were in Crown Heights when you were in Brooklyn. Um, And even the parts of North Jersey that you lived in, you know, had, you know, uh, some fairly yeah. big white populations. I mean, but you could kind of sort of insulate yourself exactly. from that. So, I mean, so did you really have any interaction with white people aside from like a random classmate or? Yeah, no. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, yeah, you're, uh, I you're, mean, you're thinking yeah, about I'm it. Thinking, <laughs> like the only person that I can think about is um, my brother's, brothers all of my brothers um they're a really good friend josh right yeah and to be painfully honest i don't know what josh is yeah no yeah we, uh, we've, we've talked, we've about, talked this about this before but before. i don't i literally i think he's white mm-hmm, but i yeah i don't know yeah and uh yeah because uh, the one time as i've told you but you know the listeners would not know this yeah the one time that i saw him yeah i just assumed that he was a, a light-skinned puerto rican dude right. you know or you know a a, a, a puerto rican person with significant uh, European right, right. Th- heritage. Right. He also could just be uh, a light-skinned brother because right. he, I mean, he's he's the complexion of my cousin Lance. Exactly. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's not the, he's not like white, white, you know? like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what that means. Right. Well, I mean, I kind of know what it means, yeah. but I'm trying to get my three white uh, listeners not to, uh, not to protest me. Sorry, white people. So John Charles, Danny Greenwell, and, uh, Dowd still if you're I think listening. they're fine yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's fine yeah I, th- I think they'll be good yeah um if Bill's dad's listening to this he might be Bill Sloyer's dad sorry. might get upset Ron Ron Sloyer <laughs> sorry uh Ron yeah Sawyer. uh so, super super interesting okay uh so then um you end up moving to Grand Rapids Michigan yep. and I know what Grand Rapids it was like the first time I went there in 2012 mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what it was like whenever you got there. Also, in comparison to New York City, the greatest place in the world mm-hmm. to you. Now you're you're yeah. in Grand Rapids. What what was going through your mind? Um, wasn't happy. Uh, I just I remember the first night being there, and I had been to Grand Rapids before. My uh, my aunt, my uh, mom's sister, moved to Holland, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, to go to college up there. Um, and then she just never came back to Holland. Gotcha. Like she just yeah. stayed. So I, she had three girls. Um, so I would go up to Grand Rapids during the summertime. So I kind of knew about it, but it, it was never like a permanent thing. It was like, yeah. okay, I'm going back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Grand Rapids was home. And I just, I remember the first night that we were there and just noticing how silent it yeah. was like going to sleep and it like I couldn't sleep that night because mm-hmm. I wasn't hearing noises like right. there weren't it just there there wasn't noise yeah yeah so that was really weird for me very weird for me do you can cons- like how how much do you think living in Grand Rapids had an effect on you for positive or negative or whatever, you mm. know, I mean, like how, how how much of Grand Rapids do you have in you? I think I have a good amount. Like, I think, you know, Grand Rapids um, definitely had a profound effect on me. Um, 
a lot of my memories are there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's where I went to middle school and high school and um, went to college in, in Western Michigan. So it's very important to me. I don't I don't know when I'll ever go back, right. but it's right. it's very important. It's a very important place to me. And that I, it holds a lot of memories and a lot of my my good friends. Yes. Or my childhood friends are still there. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's very important. Yeah, and um, the the times that we have gone there, you know, I've met I've met some very cool people. Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's very enjoyable. I you know I could definitely see how people could find their find their niche there and and do their thing. Yeah, yeah. I I liked uh, that part. I guess it was maybe in East Grand Rapids or like it was super. I I, yeah, I, I found like yep. yeah the the hipster part. Yeah, yep. I, I found my little. Uh, bookstore run by yep, yep. you know the uh you know the Grand Rapids version of Eli Goldblatt. Yeah, so yeah, right was, by the Kava the Kava house, I think, yeah. right by the coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was very where cool. I first I had my first white chocolate mocha at the Kava house. Really? Yeah. Really. So um so it was what was Oof. it that good? Yeah, it was that good. Man, I don't know where I had my first I don't know, something yeah. to think about. Yep. And because uh, <laughs> I just I find this funny. You have a couple of tattoos. I do. You I have. Do. You have. I guess you could say several tattoos. I have, uh, yeah, I have, I have six. Six of them. You have six tattoos. Uh, there was a particular tattoo parlor in Grand Rapids that you went to. What was the name of that tattoo parlor? The name of the tattoo pa- parlor is called Most Eisley. <laughs> and you'll never find a. What is it? A, a more wretched collection of scum and villainy yes absolutely yes uh yes so at the time um i had just graduated from high school Mm -hmm. um and i I turned 18 a couple months before uh but most isley's was and i think still is like the best tattoo parlor in the city um okay so i know i knew that i wanted to go to the best at that point they were they they're now downtown hopefully i think um in downtown Grand Rapids but at the at that time they were at another location um but yeah we wanted to go to a a good reputable place for our first tattoos so we you know we asked around a lot of our friends had already gotten tattoos um but you know none of none of my friends were allowed to get tattoos until after we graduated from high school so that's when we went and and when you went there, were you aware that the Millennium Falcon had made the Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs? No. Okay. No. 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 I, I did not know that. Gotcha. Uh, did you know that a parsec is actually a measure of distance and not a measure of time? Yes. Okay. No. Of course, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, know that. that's like a science thing that like people who are in the world of science know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Derek Pitts, the chief astronomer okay. of the Franklin Institute. North Philly represent. From, yeah, I think he's from uh, Broad and Allegheny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he he mentioned it once. I had, I had heard that gotcha. before. But then, you know, I mean, you don't care about this, but it's my podcast, so I can say whatever I like. And we're married, so we have to tolerate each other. Yes. Uh, I was reading an article somewhere where it was explaining how a ship could make the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. And I think it was they traveled through a wormhole. So okay, the distance sense. that they traveled was actually shorter. Short, right. So, yeah, I, I read that somewhere. So so shout out to, know. to Han Solo 
And shout out to Derek Pitts, chief you, astronomer, Franklin Institute. If you ask me about that in three days, I'm not going to know what you're talking about. Awesome. Just FYI. Okay. So right. if you're surprised that I don't know what you're talking about, don't be. No, okay. No, that makes sense. You know, because it's like what people can only, they forget 80% of what yeah. they hear in a day. Yeah. Um, and then David St. Hubbins believes 95% of what he sees on television. Awesome. It's a Spinal Tap reference. Great. That's genius. Oh man, what was I? Uh, yeah, I've I've got more most Eisley jokes. So who who shot first? Who who what? shot first? Nomi. I don't know. Han shot first. Okay. Not not what was his name Greedo? Uh, uh, unintentional <laughs> racial slur. Greedo, I think was his name. <laughs> I'm not racist. Uh, I didn't. She, she, I, I didn't ask. Shout out to my Italian American friends. Sorry for the unintentional <laughs> racial slur. You didn't, at least it didn't come all the way out. Right, right. So it's fine. Well, and there's also, there's, um, there's a clip on the internet of, it's an NBA summer league game. And there, so there's, there's a pretty well-known commentator. I think it's Kristen Ledlow, but she's talking about the, the current Isaiah Thomas, because he's like mm, a pretty mm-hmm. short guy. So she, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was interviewing Isaiah Thomas, you know, and he thinks that like, you know, even though he's a short guy in the NBA, he can do a lot of great things. So she goes, so I did, Isaiah Thomas is proving that size really doesn't. And then she goes, that's going in a bad direction. I'm just going to stop myself right there. Hey, at least she knew. Yeah, it was, at least it was good. It was good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I won't. I won't bore you with there, there's a whole thing with George Lucas redoing the movies and Han shoots this guy in Mos Eisley. He just like kills gotcha. him. He's there's this guy who's trying to collect money for Jabba the Hutt and Han's like, oh, I got his money. He takes out his blaster underneath the table and he shoots him. Then when George Lucas redid them, he had the guy shooting first ah. so that Han's defending himself. Okay. okay. And so there's this whole, like, so. It's like a stand your ground, but yeah, Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a Star Wars stand your ground. Awesome. And, and so a lot of people feel like that scene is just emblematic of George Lucas's changing everything gotcha. and ruining our childhood. So there's, there's internet memes and t-shirts, you know, it's like Han shot first. Gotcha. And, and your, your, uh, your girl, um. Uh, what's her name? I, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, uh, Brienne of Tarth. Ah. When she got cast uh, as uh, Captain Phasma, she was being interviewed by someone, and and like one of the reporters was like, "Who shot first? Yeah, it's. And she was like, "I don't know what you're talking." Yeah, about. I I think she kind of didn't know, but okay. she like I think she sensed that it was like a total fanboy right, thing, right. and she just was like, "What are you talking about?" Know what you're talking about. Um, the only thing that I know about Star Wars is that I had to break up a fight between a pregnant woman and a not pregnant woman for several Jar Jar Binks action figures. Oh, that's right. At yeah. the JC Penny. Yeah, that's, that's all right. that's that, that's, that's right. the Yeah. That's all I know about Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. And you've never seen any of the originals? No. And have you seen any of the like the little kid Anakin, the like the prequels with Ewan McGregor? Like no. all the way through. You've seen like the bits yeah. that we watch on yeah, yeah, TV. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. I don't want. I'm so like scarred by the Jar Jar Binks fight. Sure, that, like, sure. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to watch that. All right, it's it's too triggering for you. Yeah, trigger warning. Yeah, I can't. You go. You go to a tough place. With yeah. The... And so it was people who wanted the Jar Jar Binks toy. So what had happened was was that this woman, I worked at J.C. Penney all throughout <laughs> high school uh, at Woodland Mall in Grand Rapids, actually Kentwood, Michigan. 
Um, Shout out to Woodland Mall in Kentwood, Michigan. <laughs> uh, but we had all the Star Wars, the new Star Wars mm-hmm. bunny ears stuff on clearance because nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah. And she bought several Jar Jar Binks like moving action figures. Um, this woman was, I guess she was like seven, probably seven months pregnant. So she goes, buy, she buys the stuff. She goes and gets lunch somewhere, leaves the bag at the place, at like the, the place that her and her daughter went to lunch at. Oh, so, so she had purchased it and then like. Walked went- to get lunch. At a place in the in the mall. Gotcha. Left the bag there. Like at the table. At, at the table. table. Gotcha. Somebody else picked it up. She had uh, the, the the receipt was right, in the bag. Right. So this the girl like came in and was gonna return the items uh, as the pregnant woman was walking in. Right. So they were like tussling and I could tell that it was gonna get really, really real, really, really fast. And this pregnant woman is like she's like going back and forth with this person. Mm-hmm. So I got in the middle of them and I got punched in the eye. Aye, aye, aye. Yep. Man. Protecting a pregnant woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's. She, she also, like, it was, the homegirl had, I mean, she had hands. Mm-hmm. So she kind of like clipped me, but she sure. got, yeah, she got the pregnant woman pretty. Okay. Pretty tough. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I almost lost my job that day. For because you shouldn't have been intervening in customer affairs or. No, because or... I was going to start fighting. Okay. You. <laughs> No, because it was gonna have like it was. Yeah. I was gonna start fighting. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, you, but you, I was. You I was felt held a certain back. way. Yes. getting punched in the eye. Yes, it's understandable. But I, I was held back by one of my coworkers. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, my manager when I worked at the Ritz Sports had to physically restrain me from. Uh, I was about to like get out of the box office and yell at an old man for he so. Um, I feel like you've told me the story. But yeah, I, like I might have. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, uh, yeah, like it was a weekend shift or something. So like it was always it was really busy. And then um, the guy that I was working with, like yeah, we just used to sort of like pump each other up. But sometimes the the customers could get super surly. So this um, this one person who was working with me who you've met i won't i won't say his name on I know, air I know, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that guy we've met at a movie yes yeah yeah so he he was only like 19 right, at the right. time it was his first job so if he sensed that people were being smart asses with him he would just like really give it to them so this old guy said something like you all don't have to act like you have penises for brains so mm-hmm. yeah i like got yeah and so yeah my my manager like held me back awesome so yeah Shout out to Harry Flood for restraining me, or to Ben Schuler for restraining me. I can't remember if it was Harry or uh, if it was Ben. V- very easy to confuse the two of them. Harry Flood was twenty-two years old and a tall Caucasian man, and Ben Schuler was probably in his forties or fifties. Great, and a, great, look just alike. Yeah, uh, m- mid-sized African American man with salt and awesome. pepper hair, and yeah, so it's very easy to get the two of them confused. Right, totally. Uh, all right. Well, so so this is a uh, this is a perfect segue. We've we've got into Jar Jar Binks, mm-hmm. and we've talked about some Naturally. some some Star Wars. You are not really in the world of sci fi fantasy. Mm-hmm. You don't really lean towards the science fiction. Mm-mm. You lean more towards fantasy. I lean more towards fantasy. And give me a dragon over a lightsaber any day in any day of the week, any, any, day, of the any week. day of the week. And so I feel like, um, you know, our 
many of our Saturday afternoons are either consumed by you watching Lord of the Rings yes. or Hobbit yes. movies or me watching Star Wars movies. Yep. Neither one of us is super interested in nah. the other one. Nah. But you like you liked the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Yes. I feel like yes. you like those. Yes, because I like Star Trek. Okay, like I, I genuinely like Star Trek. Did um, you watch any Star Trek as a kid? Yeah, I watched not not enough to remember, but right. I did watch TNG. Mm-hmm. I watched Deep Space Nine. Okay, yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. So I know you know I know some of the characters and and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um. So when did you? really get into Lord of the Rings because I I you know when as you know but for the maybe we're up to 15 listeners now if you know shout out to the two new listeners who just uh who just uh signed on yeah um you know for for the people that don't know when you and me and you know and some of your Grand Rapids people when we went to go see Mm -hmm. I guess it was the first it was the first topic the the unexpected journey yes uh yeah that was the I never saw any of the Lord of the Rings when when they were out in the early 2000s. So when mm-hmm. when did you get into into Tolkien's films? Yeah, it was really um when the first Lord of the Rings came out. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I I remember seeing the preview and I was like this this is epic. Mm-hmm. This looks cool. Like I don't know, this is awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I've just I've kind of been in love with it ever since. Ever since I think then. you know I was never really into fantasy at all mm-hmm. until Lord of the Rings. So right. Lord of the Rings definitely stoked my my interest uh, for the fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and it was really just like based off the previews. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No that that makes sense because um the first the first time I saw a preview for Pulp Fiction, ah. I was like, "This looks like it's going to be amazing." Yeah, I didn't real I didn't know who Tarantino was. I knew that there was a film called Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. because I remember being in a blockbuster video with my two brothers, Gene and Terrence, and one of them saw the box for it on the shelf, and so. One of them said to the other, like, oh, hey, did you see this movie? And he was like, yeah, it's crazy. The whole play, the whole movie takes place in a garage. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking, like, oh, that's super weird. Like, a movie takes place just in one place. Like, I don't I don't understand that. But the, the name I always thought was super interesting. Right. So then when I saw the trailer for Pulp Fiction, I was like, oh, this looks really cool. And just, like, the whole vibe of it. And then I remember I used to... Um, read the Sunday Washington Post oh, and, okay. and, and there was an extensive art section where it would talk about it would do uh, reviews of all the new movies that had come out and the and the shows that were playing at the I guess it's whatever the big theater is in DC the mm-hmm. center stage or whatever and this was kind of around the period yeah this is 11th grade when I'm like oh man I hate living in northern Virginia I want to live in a city mm-hmm. so I remember in that it said oh you know uh, Quentin Tarantino directed Reservoir Dogs and I was like oh that's the Reservoir Dogs guy right. but I say all of that all of that to say that the preview in and of itself was that was enough for me so 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 you saw one of the Lord of the Rings previews and you were just like I'm I'm in it yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was like, this is awesome. So I watched the first movie, and the rest was Black History. The rest was Black History. So that is also a perfect segue. So, so one of the things that I find super interesting 
um, just about the Lord of the Rings stuff in general and what I know about you and the many things that I know about you is that, you know, so I, I've always sort of felt like Lord of the Rings is like super, super, super white in that the, you know, all of the characters are white. Mm -hmm. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, I believe that's how his name is pronounced because I'm basing that off of the movie that the biopic that is, uh coming out Mm -hmm. of him you know he's a white dude who lived in like you know uh 1900 south africa um and yeah honestly well looking back my brother gene was into lord of the rings and Mm -hmm. the hobbit i didn't really know about that um but yeah i mean i always thought lord of the rings was just like super white because i mean it's like you know all the characters are white whereas for me star trek you know was was the multiracial future and then star wars had a little bit of everyone Mm -hmm. um but what i find super funny is how i just remember you talking about when you were in college and you were an english major in college and uh you talked about i think i just remember you talking about like watching like monty python yes in in college and you not liking it oh my god so i so i feel like monty python is sort of like one uh, it's 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 the flip side of the coin of the Lord of the Rings yeah. world. I mean, and I could be wrong because I honestly I know more black folk that are into Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones than I know white folk. But right. Lord of the Rings was always just a white thing to me. I pretty much only know. Well, I was about to say the only people that I know that are into Mighty Python are white people. But as I think about it, Mike Grubb is really the only person awesome. that I know who's like really into Monty Python. Right. Like maybe a couple of guys I knew in college. But um, yeah, so I, I just find all of that interesting. And I'm trying to imagine you coming from Harlem and coming from, you know, a very uh, insular, self-contained black community in Grand Rapids, Michigan, being in college. Mm-hmm. Really, your first time around a significant amount of white people. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, watch, Grand, wa- I, I think um, my high school in Grand Rapids was very, very diverse. Right. Um, so I think that that was my first time being around e- at least an equal amount of of white folk. Sure, but um, then, but yeah, but then going to Western, it was yeah. Yeah, white. I mean, there yeah there there wasn't really a significant black population, yeah. there. and particularly because I was in the English department um, at Western, I was one of the only black folk in the English mm-hmm. department. So a lot of my basic classes were were with white folk, right? And the, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to imagine you watching a lot of Monty Python. Also, just because I don't, I've never really gotten Monty Python. I mean, like I the the idea of a comedy troupe that's like a little more cutting edge i totally get because i mean like you had peter sellers and the goons um you had the fire sign theater so you know like you had sketch comedy and you had sketch comedy records i don't really know if there was a um a sketch comedy tv show and then i feel like part of the thing with monty python was like they were young yeah they had long yeah. hair yeah, so I mean, yeah but I th- i've the skits i've never i've never gotten into them yeah i think a lot of the the white boys at western who were england in the english department and probably played in an ornament amount of dungeons and dragons um, and let's 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 not make fun of people who play Dungeons and Dragons because no, my my brothers played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but I think that they saw themselves in the Monty Python 
oh absolutely crew yeah. so that's why they liked it so mm-hmm. much i mean and like i just remember a couple of them had been what like when we watched uh the holy grail like that was like their 15th time yeah seeing oh, absolutely. It. and i'm like i don't i mean it's funny right but one i don't understand why we're watching it in an english class sure sure <laughs> and two i don't understand why we're watching it in an english right, class right i mean i think you know I do. I get it. It's the Holy Grail, whatever. You know, it's, yeah. it was like a funny way of kind of explaining, kind of, explain, I don't know, explaining the story a little bit. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that a lot of the, the guys, especially the, the, the dudes in the English department mm-hmm. just kind of gravitated towards oh, absolutely. that type of humor. Sure. Um, and that, that, comedy troupe yeah 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 oh well, yeah i mean obviously since you're married to me you've you've seen how much i can quote that's my boy exactly. and jack and jill and yeah. grandma's boy but i'm a i'm a 40 year old man who yes. does fairly serious work so yeah, yeah i'm imagine me at yeah 18 exactly. years old exactly with that you know <laughs> exactly uh yeah and uh, every time you mention that i i always think of two things one is uh th- there's an article in the onion um yeah where it's it's like uh you know supposed to be an editorial and one of the th- pieces says my girlfriend's going to love my collection of monty python jokes exactly yeah and that, yeah. that's what i think about and then i think about uh one of the one of the cutaway skits on family guy where i think meg is watching it on a date oh with God. a boy or she's just like watching it yeah. by herself but she's just like this isn't funny this is i'm a funny. girl this is not funny. girls don't like this no yeah, so that's no. uh, that that is what I always think about. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's it's I, I think that it is like total boy humor, you know, or yeah. like yeah, it's just yeah, it's, it, it was just not that funny. To okay. Me. Yeah. Well, uh, Michael Grubb, my my good friend from high school, if if you're listening to this and you have some solid Monty Python sketches that you think Naomi would love, feel free to yeah. send us some clips via YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that yeah, that, that ship has sailed for that you. Ship has yeah. sailed. If you would have, if you were going to be into it, it would have happened by now, right? And it's funny because I, so the the folks that made like Best in Show, mm-hmm. and and Spinal and Tap, Spinal Tap, and um, A Mighty Wind, gotcha. and Waiting for Guffman. So I love Best in Show, as you know. Yeah. Um, and I almost I I don't know if this is the right correlation, but for some reason in my head, like. The Monty Python crew and that crew are almost the same. How? But like, what do you I don't, mean? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what I mean by that. I think it's just because it's a group of funny white boys. But, like, mm-hmm. th- that could be it. Um, and there's some funny white women in the yes, uh, best. Yes. In Shout that, out in to that. Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parker Posey. Yeah. Uh, the lady that played Stifler's mom. She was really funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's like... We have similar interests. Yep. We're both into soup. We're both into soup. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know why I always make that correlation, mm-hmm. but I just, I always found um, the best in show guys far funnier than any Monty Python. Yeah. Well, so, that I've ever, or uh, yeah. Yeah, skit. No, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I, I think that the, I think that the best in show. Um, especially best in show, because I think that's the best, no pun intended, of all of those mm-hmm. movies. There, there's something very relatable about mm-hmm. those characters, 
regardless of how ridiculous they right. are, it's it's like, oh no, like you can you can see how people in that world why they act like that. Right. Like if the the world makes sense. Right, and there right. and there there there's there's enough when you really like peel away the layers of it, like there's you know, I mean they're they're fully fleshed out ridiculous people who do ridiculous right. things. Whereas yeah, I feel like Monty Python and um you know this this might be weird for me to say this, but I feel like Monty Python, like it's so meta and it's yes, so witty pr- and yeah. it's just like yeah, <laughs> it's just it's like you said. It's just so meta. It's just too much. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, Anyways. Yeah, Mike Grubb is probably crying in oh, his. Sorry. Uh, he's crying on his guitars right now. Awesome. Uh, hearing hearing you say this. Um. So all right. So th- this is also another interesting segue, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, um, yeah, is, you know, to, to break down these, uh, you know, some seemingly conventional narratives. Uh, but as I have told you many times before, obviously, cause we're married. Mm-hmm. How many times can I say that? But you know, if someone's just listening, you know, I don't know if someone's fast forwarding through the podcast and they hear this half the way through. Um, so as I, as I mentioned before, when we first started dating, I was I was kind of nervous and by kind of like very nervous to like sort of uh, be honest about my viewing habits because uh-huh. I was like, um, oh, man, you know, she's she's this cool black woman who grew up in Harlem. And then, you know, she grew up in the coolest place on Earth as well. Grand Rapids, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. doesn't get any cooler than that. Um, yeah, but I, I remember like one of the first times that you came over to my house and I think we watched 500 days of summer Mm -hmm. and I was, I'm like, oh, well this might work because it'll show that I'm a sensitive guy. Mm -hmm. So watching 500 days of summer, I was not that nervous about the first time that I watched Portlandia in front of you. I was fairly nervous because I was like, oh, she gonna think I'm, I'm a, I'm a weirdo. Which is is funny because. I love Portlandia. You love Portlandia. You love, and I. I also love the fact that you have seen more episodes of documentary now than I. Oh have my god, seen. it's so awesome! It it is very awesome. Yeah, I mean, I started watching Portlandia before we met. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was I was surprised to yeah. to hear that, um, because and I I think so. There were a couple of things I remember you on our first date, which was. February 21st. That's not true. Also, shout out to Bill Sloyer for having his birthday on February 21st. Shout out to his mama. Mm, eh, (laughs) But like Bill really made the birthday. So I would beg to differ. Okay. All right. Shout out to Carol Cullick for birthing Bill Sloyer on February 21st. But I so I remember you making a family guy reference. Uh Uh-huh. I, I think I knew that you were into The Simpsons, but I was like, mm, everyone's into The Simpsons, so that that's not that's not a big thing. Right. But yeah, you you made a Family Guy reference, mm-hmm. so I'm like, okay, like she she might not dump me if she knows if she knows my interests. But then later, um, you had one particular TV show that. You even you've gotten a little defensive of when people make fun of it. They made fun of it on Family Guy. They were the the theme song. You know what I'm talking about. 
Are you talking about Ma? Ma? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So because you, it's the greatest freaking show that's ever existed. You are a huge Maud fan, which at the time blew my mind because I I don't know if I know anyone under the age of sixty who's like who can reference Maud episodes. I didn't even really know about Maud mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I only knew B. Arthur from the Golden Girls. Right, I feel right. like most people. But so, so it walk me through this affection for Maud Findlay. So I, rem- I remember um, the first time I watched Maud, I was, I was pretty, I was like maybe 12 or 13 and it came on TV land. Cause it wasn't mm-hmm. that, it, it, I think, I think they went maybe four seasons. Sure. Maybe. Um, now I feel like I have to Google that because I don't want to yeah. disrespect the name of Maude. Um, But I remember it like there was a marathon on and I was just home on a Saturday or something like that. And I was like, huh, this looks cool. Um, and I remember her from All in the Family. So I remember like that whole Okay. Thing. Yeah. And I remember talking to my mom about it and she's like, Oh yeah, you know, she kinda told me the story about mm-hmm. like how Maud got her own show sure, and sure. um I wanna say, yeah, Florida Evans was on mm-hmm. the show for a short time because yes. she was Maud's maid. Yeah. Um Yeah. So I, I so I fell in love with it. I was like, What? This is like so cool. Like Maud is like this cool lady who like walks around in caftans and Mm -hmm. you know drinks martinis and talks about abortion it's awesome like i love it yeah yeah Yeah. and it was it was a it was a fairly cutting edge show yeah because i mean mean, you know it it dealt with abortion it dealt with the equal rights Mm -hmm. amendment um and i think in the episode that deals with abortion i think like maude either like she's she she gets pregnant unexpectedly or she thinks she She thinks she's yeah, yeah she thinks she is um, but yeah, she, uh, she's for abortion, but she just doesn't know if it's for her. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Which, um, I'm sure a lot of women grapple with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, yeah. And, and, and I imagine that, you know, I mean, it also sort of, uh, dealt with the, the changing times in mm-hmm. the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. uh, men were starting to, uh, lose, you know, a little bit of uh, their power. I mean, I guess uh, upon hindsight, they, they didn't necessarily lose they, that they much, lose but, that much. but, but, you but know, for men, just like losing like a, a just a little itty bitty, tiny mm-hmm. bit of power is like the worst thing ever. So, yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was a very, very, very cutting edge yeah. show, you know, and, and at the, at that point, Maude was, you know, she was pretty, uh, she wasn't, she was no spring chicken either. Right. Yes. So, it was a, dealing with a lot, like dealing with, um, you know, an older woman getting mm-hmm. pregnant, yeah, and trying to figure out like how does that fit into her life right. and all of that stuff. So yeah, very interesting. And and I would imagine as well that it was part of the um, the component with her age is that it didn't necessarily play into the trope of exactly right. the, the the sad old woman who just like knits and all right. she lives for is I don't know her kids to her. You know, uh, give me grandkids. Like, right. It, it, it wasn't that. Right. And yeah. she, I think at that point, she already had a grandkid. Right. Yeah. Because right. her daughter was a divorcee who had a child. Um, 
so you know Maude was out there living her best life mm-hmm. like she was on her second marriage yeah. and you know Rue McClanahan would come over with her husband she and, would you know who they, I believe was played by Conrad Bain yes the, the dad yes, from, different, from strokes. different strokes yeah um so yeah they were you know they were just out here living their like metropolitan second life yeah like yeah. A, a baby was not in mm-hmm. there you know they Maude was not poor right you know she was not of color mm-hmm. she was an Anglo-Saxon you know fairly well off white you know woman who mm-hmm. had had everything that she needed and wanted and her husband worked and at that point Maude wasn't work didn't work so why would she get into, you yeah. know it's like these all these factors that you think of when you think of when some people think of women who get abortions but she was not that right. that so yeah yeah uh did you ever feel weird with her having a black maid no because it didn't last long gotcha yeah yeah and uh it be, i think also because it was florida evans mm-hmm. it was like oh okay i know this character mm-hmm. they've talked about her you know her profession on good times right. so it's like okay all right but this you know and it's it for you know as a as cutting edge as Maud was, it still was a show, a Norman Lear show, mm-hmm. you know, that took place in the in the 60s. So you, you take it for what it is. Yeah. I mean, and it's. Um, someone in that status having that type of position, it's n- not factually inaccurate for them to have a right. black maid. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I. You know, like that, that was one of the things like, you know, when we were, when we were first dating, I mean, just the fact that like anyone was really into Maude, I was like, really? Like, it's just, it, it's just like one of those shows that I'm just like. So awesome. Yeah. I If you I, haven't seen Maude, like you just go watch at least a couple of episodes. Sure, like, sure. It's awesome. Yeah. I, cause I, I think, um, honestly, maybe the first time I heard of Maude, I think jay in one of kevin smith's movies references of course yeah so yeah so i didn't i didn't know if it was really a real thing so i'm like okay this is this is bizarre in my mind yeah you know this person who's in their 20s like loves yes loves mod yes even so much so to the fact when um When they did that joke on Family Guy, when when Peter's like, "Ah, hey, it's that episode of Mod where they list like, you know, the the opening credit song, the opening theme song is fifteen minutes is, because they list all these women, yeah. and and you got like, you were like, a, you caught some feelings about that, you know, and all of the all of the racial jokes on Family Guy, the like, yeah, you know, yeah. jokes about people with different abilities, you know, jokes about people on the queer spectrum, you 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 know, you laugh all of that off, and and you know, and those are issues that are. Very very dear to your heart. Yes, but, very much so. But they make fun of Maud. Too far. Too far. Too far. Too that far. is an affront to my sensibilities. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, they they have Cleveland playing a like you know a, like a slave master on a slave boat. That's on, on on the you know the one sort of like history family guy. And I didn't see you that upset about it. But making fun of Maud. Don't do I mean, that. It, the, 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 it's change. Like you know, it the roles were reversed. Yes. It's, it's a. That's hilarious. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so. no, I yeah, I I totally get it. No. Yeah. Um. Uh. What was I going to say? Yeah. Also, um. You know, one of the things that I find interesting. Yeah. And and I don't really know to what degree they like. You know, they dealt with this on mod, but 
um, something that, you know, like really encapsulated that period for me and just like my learning about things was, um, so I had, I had never heard the phrase white feminism Mm -hmm. before I met you. Um, but there were some times when I had like sort of like certain feelings around it, you know? And so like, I, I remember one particular time when you and I were at an event somewhere and Christine Todd Whitman, former governor of Mm -hmm. New Jersey was speaking and, you know, and there were a lot of mostly white women in the audience who were, you know, talking about how great they thought Christine Todd Whitman was. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. But like, I mean, I remember being in Philly in the late 90s when the Justice Department investigated the New Jersey State Troopers for disproportionately pulling over black motorists. And then there was a very infamous uh, photo of Christine Todd Whitman frisking a, a black motorist who it was revealed, no surprise, like didn't have anything, wasn't doing anything illegal. You know, it was, you know, it was, it was quite a a big thing. And then, and I remember, and I felt like kind of weird about it at the time because I remember thinking like, okay, well, like, am I, am I thinking about this stuff just because like I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable Mm -hmm. being around women asserting their agency or is this thing like fucked up? And, and, and can it be a space of like, oh, no, like she it's can, both. Be, you know, she can be good on these things mm-hmm. and this thing is fucked up. And yeah, you know, very much to your point of, yeah, like I'm I'm sure I was probably subconsciously like very uncomfortable about, you know, women just not apologizing for who they were. And it's also possible that that can exist within a space of like, yeah, and this is also racially right. problematic. Right. You know, they're they're not mutually exclusive. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think. I've, I want to say that they, because of Florida's character, I think that they kind of, glo- you know, they talked, they mm-hmm. made funnies. They made sure. jokes about yeah. it, but it wasn't necessarily kind of ingrained. And I think at that point um, in the, the history and the trajectory of feminism, um, I think that at that point, black women and trans women um, were really starting to to kind of see the differences mm-hmm. um so i don't think it was something that was talked about sure. in the in the feminist world yeah. quite yet yeah yeah i mean i think it's more um i think it's more visible now right yeah but i, I even i remember when christine todd whitman was uh was elected and and feeling happy about that because I've always seen myself, even as a young, young girl, I've always seen myself as a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember being very, very happy that there was the first, you know, female governor of New Jersey. You know, right. like, yeah, that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, but then, under like, as the years went on, kind of seeing her practices yeah it was like oh yeah and and i i remember and i remember when i talked to you about it because i mean yeah i mean there was also some stuff with her and asada shakur yeah Yeah. um yeah it's uh yeah i you know i think it's super interesting and and particularly how it plays out in television because i mean you know this was 
still the seventies and Norman Lear, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's still a white man of a particular age right. who's seen things through a particular lens. Right. And, you know, I mean, you know, y- you never really know what's in a person's heart, but like, you know, it seemed like he was trying to, yeah. like, to the degree yeah. that he could. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, it, it's a thing of, uh, it's not unrealistic that a person, a family with that socioeconomic status and in that place in society would have a black right. maid. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and you know, there is the, um, you know, uh, even when those power dynamics are involved, there is still affection between people. Right, right, right. I you mean, know, I think and that... sometimes it's conditional, sometimes it's not, right. but... Right. I think for as long as Florida was on the show, I think she showed her agency. Like mm-hmm. it was a job for her. Like yeah. she, they, you know, she came, you know, she was there at nine and she left at five. It yeah. wasn't something that like, yeah, it was, right. it was just her job. Yeah. And, and the little bit that I know about Esther Roll, um, especially when she was on good times, she was very honest with the producers about, the direction that the show right. was going in and it really centering around JJ just right. being like super, super yeah super buffoonish yeah. and you know and like and that that's why she left the yeah. show because similar to John Amos, yeah, she wanted it to be a show about a you know, a very a hard working family. family that didn't get caught up in ghetto tropes right. and, you know, dynamite and and all of that. Right. Yeah, and you know, and I think it's super interesting. I mean, like, you know, we've talked about this a lot where um you know, I mean and I've honestly never seen mods, so I can't really comment on like you know what it is, you know, and what it isn't. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll watch some episodes. I I think I've watched ten minutes of of one episode. I like when she opens the door. Yes. in, in yeah. the opening credits, yeah. like that. Yeah, that that seemed like a pretty baller move. Um, but you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. Of just you know the the things that you watch when you're a kid, you have a certain affection right. for, regardless of how like they may play out. You right. know, we've talked about. Your father's affection for westerns. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and I—I I mean, I even got him a a John Wayne uh, movie for Father's Day. I got him The Searchers. Right, which... and I think it's all black people of a certain age. They just mm-hmm. like westerns. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they, because that's what they grew up on. Yeah, like it's just kind of ingrained in them. They yeah, don't... it's it's their version of action movies. Exactly. And, I mean, exactly. your mom, your mom likes The Rifleman. Yes. And... Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I've I've. I find it very interesting. And I also, uh, you know, a couple other things I find interesting is, yeah, I mean, I, I always just sort of find it interesting when um, shows that are really what I like to call default white shows, uh-huh. tr- you know, they try to address racial matters. Cause I mean, right. like they, right. they even did this with new girl a bit. I don't know if you saw the episodes, but it was, I think it was just kind of like a, a weird coincidence of life of when they, started transitioning Winston's character, you know, t- transitioning Winston to have him join the LAPD uh-huh. is really when a lot of the the police shooting started capturing the, you know, the public consciousness. Right, and right. so, I mean, they, they, they dealt with it and, and they did a kind of, I mean, they did as good a job as you can do on a half hour sitcom on Fox. Um, you know, I mean, and they, and they even, I think the part that I liked the most was when, um, Winston was talking to Coach about it, and Nick happened to be there, and and I feel like they they sort of did like an early uh, Umbaku Black Panther thing awesome. where like Nick kept trying to like state his opinion on police shootings, and they were like, No, no you you can't no. speak about this. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And that's, I think, you know, for me and Maude, and I think they did touch on racial issues mm-hmm. because, I mean, Maude's like whole, you know, her her whole trope was this, you know, feminist, leftist, yeah. very leftist. So I think they did touch on racial issues. And, and knowing that it, it was a Norman Lear show, I just expect them to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I don't expect for, for, like you said, for like white shows to to think about or talk about race mm-hmm. particularly yeah. if you don't have any people of color in right. your writing room like oh yeah. you don't don't you don't need to yeah please don't yeah i, please I beg don't. of you please don't please don't please, please don't. don't yeah no need like you do do what you do yeah and i'll still laugh mm-hmm. but you don't need to do that yeah and i I've found that at least for me the times when it works well is when it it really shows the yeah like the subtle and the implicit biases yeah. particularly of white people so i thought they did a good job of it on mad men with um with elizabeth moss's character with peggy because mm-hmm. she was always portrayed as you know she's an outsider in the mad men world right, right. you know she's catholic she has a kid that really no one knows about um and she starts as a secretary and with i think by the end of the first season is when she gets her first assignment and and she is someone who as opposed to Joan um who really like didn't want to like tolerate like all of the sexist shit right. like like Peggy was like i want to be the first female creative director and and she was sort of like they're going to have to fucking fire me like right. i'm not going to leave this place um, so so she was always sort of presented as the more understanding, compassionate person. But then you see in like seasons five and six how she treats her black secretary. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing that's like really addressed, but it's like it's these really subtle things that I think maybe only black people w- like, you know, would notice. I mean, just like the way like she kind of talks to her mm-hmm. and some of the assumptions that she makes. And then like like there's one particular episode where... I think it's Valentine's Day and her secretary is married and Peggy had a boyfriend who like didn't want, you know, he was like super Uh non-traditional. So like he didn't want to be like boyfriend or whatever. And so there are some flowers that are on her secretary's desk. Peggy assumes that the flowers are for her, for Peggy. So she takes them, puts them in her office and her secretary, Dawn, um, who is the, you know, the person that works as her receptionist is like ah, oh, like i don't want to say anything because she's going to get upset uh, but, gotcha. you know, okay. but then by i think by that point there is another black woman who is also working as a receptionist at the office so she's like no like they're your like your husband got them for you right. like take them and so like she finally takes them back and like peggy flies off the handle because she's like you embarrassed me like this is so ridiculous and so peggy feels upset and powerless because the man that she cares right. for doesn't want the relationship to manifest in the same way she does right. But I think that it's, at least for me as a black person, like, I'm also seeing it through the lens of, like, and you know that you can treat this black woman like shit. Because she can't do anything to you. And so no matter how much you're like, oh, yeah, but I'm Catholic, so I know what it's like to be discriminated. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's... It's, it's a little different. It's a little different. Like it's it's in and you're the also vicinity. her boss. Like yeah, you, exactly. you have agency over her. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So so I think that is, you know, what I like to personally see more. And obviously, I mean, Mad Men is a, you know, it's it's an hour long show right. with some of the best writers in Hollywood. So you can go deeper places. Right. Than, and it's it's coming from a place of his it's historical. Mm-hmm. So it they can they're able to put another lens on it. Right. That right. 
Maude or like All in the Family yeah. or um, the Jeffersons camp because yeah. it's like in the moment. Yeah. It's there. It's like sitting yeah. there. Yeah. So so speaking of of Maude, um, since they did the, I guess it was the Jefferson or I guess it was the All in the Family Jeffersons oh live yeah. Yeah, yeah. thing on yeah. TV. Yeah. So so who who would you have playing the cast of Maude? Like so so with the people today, right? Oh my God, that's a tough yeah. one. Who there? Look, there is nobody like B. Arthur. Sure, true. true I there is. I don't. Leslie Jones. Okay, so 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 you're saying a new new take on Maude. Leslie Jones, similar to Cedric the Entertainer and Mike Epps in the yes. remake of The Honeymooners. Yes. yes. Yep. All right. Leslie, see, I that that actually, I actually think that she is the best person of like of everyone yeah. working now. Yeah. Because I mean, like, it's I just think it's such a natural fit. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, for the little that I know about Leslie Jones's biography and like her background, yeah, I I, I think that's perfect. Yeah. It would, yeah. Totally, Leslie Jones. Okay. I think Leslie Jones could could play Maude. Um, Who would play her husband? I I don't Kyle even know Looney. what that dude's name is. Um, <laughs> that how cool would that be? All right, so if anyone who is has any connection to Lorne Michaels, Broadway video, anything, if if we can at least get a, a Saturday skit. Night Live a skit, a skit, yeah, yeah, Kyle Mooney, Leslie Jones as the Finleys. You heard it here first from Naomi Robertson at the Punk Rock Barbershop. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm trying to think who could play Rue McClanahan's part because like her and, and so okay all right I'm about to get into some some real hefty like <laughs> um Maude Golden Girls sure, sure. history here but um one of the the things that B. Arthur requested and um demanded was that so at first, Betty White was going to play Blanche mm-hmm. and Rue McClanahan was going to play Rose. Yes. But uh, B. Arthur said, no, we've seen Betty White be, be a, a Bunny Ears alleged loose woman. Right. A in floozy, the Mar- Yeah, a floozy in the, in the, um, the Mary Tyler Moore show. And Rue was uh was the dunce in in Maude. So okay. like I want them to to switch roles because we've seen them. We've yeah. seen that in them before. Um, So. You know, Rue's character on Maud, she was, yeah, she was just a little flighty, gotcha. I would say. She was okay. flighty. She was flighty. Um, aloof a little sure. bit. Um, So I don't know who would play Rue's character. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, well, I'm thinking that, I mean, it could be a... I mean, you could have it be like a totally super insulated Saturday Night Live world. So I'm, so right. I'm thinking you got Leslie Jones. Uh, maybe if you had Tina Fey as Rue McClanahan's character, because she, she goes against type. Uh, what's that, that the young, yeah, her. the young woman on SNL. I feel like she's she's fairly new. Um, She played, have you seen the weekend update where, she plays like an employee of Goop and she's she's forgetting all the like the Goop kind of like the slime? No, stuff? no, what Goop, Goop um Gwyneth Pal 
Paltrow's company. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot that that existed. Yeah, and uh, she's like forgetting all of the like the stuff that they spew at them. Right. You know? So it's right. like, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember her name, but I think she would play a, a lovely. Yeah. So she's on Saturday Night Live now. Yeah, she's yeah she's on their cast. She's on cast now. I can't remember her name. She. Not to be super racial, but is she white? She's Black? she's definitely white. Like who are the new white people there? I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm, we'll, I'm, we'll look I'm, it up. Yeah, we'll look I'm, it up and do some post post production. Yeah, well, we will. We'll, we we're not doing any. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. Well, we we might because when I was interviewing my dad last night, my you know as I as you might remember from when I woke you up. Uh, yeah, I, so I didn't know that my dad was into Steve McQueen. Ah, so, okay. So, you know, so my dad was like, oh, he's like, yeah, Steve. He's like, I like Steve McQueen and Papillon. And right, I'm right. like, oh, he was in Papillon? Like, yeah. I, I didn't know that. And then and then I looked up some other Steve McQueen movies today, The Cincinnati Kid, ah, which I know that okay. my dad likes because when he was up for his birthday last year, he referenced gotcha. it. Gotcha. So, so I kind of want to do like an extended segment where it's me and my dad just talking about Steve awesome. McQueen movies. Awesome. So, so we, yeah, so we, 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 you know, we might do a follow-up with him. We might do one with you. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Cool. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, we only have a few more minutes. Okay. Yeah, we got to uh, get a, we have a, a kid that we got to get to bed. We have, you know, it's so funny. I wasn't even thinking about that. Of course you were <laughs> I'm so committed to the, you know, to the art. It's 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 for his benefit. Okay. You know, I want to deliver. Well, I got a kid that I got to get to sleep. Yes, 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 you do. And um, nachos to eat. And oh yeah, see, I'm so in the in the interview zone that like yeah, I'm I, awesome. I'm not, I was about to say I'm not even thinking of my kid. Shout out to <laughs> my son <laughs> that's, Mercer for that's just uh, terrible for being cool. He is cool. He's um, pretty cool. I feel like there was something else I was going to ask you. What else, what else do you think I was going to ask you? I don't know. I mean, we've covered a lot. We've Maud. Ta- we've talked about Mod. We've talked about your disdain for Monty Python. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about my fantasy. Uh, your, your love of fantasy. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We should. We. We. We should definitely go there. You. Are a huge Game of Thrones I am. fan. I am. And you had, you seem to be in the minority, in, in the minority as far as your feelings for this final season. Uh-huh. I even was reading a bit of um, some Facebook postings from Paula, who is Bill Sloyer's wife. Ah, okay. I won't even try to pronounce her nas- last name because I don't want to butcher it. Mm-hmm. But she she did not seem that fond of the season and the finale. And I kind of want to send her a message and be like, "Oh well, you should talk to Naomi because mm-hmm. she might she might change your mind." Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. for the good people that are listening. Tell them how you felt about about this season and the finale. Right. So I do think I agree that it was rushed. I agree that it was rushed. But I think given everybody's arc and everybody's story, the ending makes sense. So how we got there was rushed, but the end completely makes sense. John absolutely should have landed north of the wall. He did not want to be king. He didn't want it. No need to give it to him if he didn't want it, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Danny should have died. She was going insane. She 
a she wasn't the rightful heir to the throne so there's that like Mm -hmm. that's so at the end like she's been fighting for a lie for the past uh, eight seasons eight nine i can't remember how many seasons we had um sansa you know should have been so the one thing that i don't agree on is bran being the king I don't this is Bran Stark? Yes. Yeah. I, and I, his name is B-R-A-N? Brandon. 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 Oh, it's yeah. short for Brandon? Yes. Oh, yeah. that's cute. But we call him Bran. Okay. Um, like, I, do they call him that on the show or just like people? No, they call him the... that on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I don't, I did not agree with that. I thought that was weird. Um, only because like he was the three-eyed raven and I don't think that the three-eyed raven should be king. Like I, it, I it they serve. I've been saying that since of the, course. since. The Eisenhower administration. Yeah, yeah. They serve different purposes. Now, if you, you could be of a certain population who think that that's not true and think that the Three-Eyed Raven should have been king and kind of combined roles a little bit because mm-hmm. the Three-Eyed Raven can can kind of see what's going on and and they um, they hold the the fu- the past and the future. I am one of the folks that think that uh Bran Stark is the beginning and the end of the entire uh Game of Thrones story. So I think that Bran is the reason why the I think Bran is what we call the original Bran who uh awesome. built the wall with the children of the forest and um who I think that Bran is the the voice that the Mad King heard when he uh, uh, was going to set King's Landing on fire um, with the wildfire. I think that Bran clearly is the voice that uh, Ned Stark heard before he went into the Tower of Joy um, to find his sister, Lyanna, giving birth to Jon Snow. Wait, so I, I just, just want to backtrack for a second. There's actually a place called the Tower of Joy. Yeah, I think it's the Tower of Joy. In Game I, of I could I could be mistaken. No, Any Game of Thrones fans, right. please let me know if I'm mistaken. I I feel I could be mistaken. And uh, and any Game of Thrones fans, if there is in fact a Tower of Joy, I'm totally right for not watching. Like what what is that? That's not even it's, a or thing. is it the tower? It's a, it's the Tower of something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I think that brand is the reason why we're why we are here why why we got to the place that we're at um not for any nefarious reasons on brand's part i just think that he didn't know his power at the time so i think he warged into different places and kind of changed the trajectory of of history okay um so i don't agree with him being king sansa being queen of um of the north is cool i don't think it was the best decision um for the realm because like if Sansa is queen of the North, then why can't like the Iron Isles be their own sovereign entity as well? Like, I feel like that just gives everybody else precedence to become their own. Gotcha. You know, their own sovereign places, which is what I wanted to happen anyways. Mm -hmm. I did not want, I wanted everybody to like separate and be their own little sovereign, you know, thing, but then like come together when they needed to. Gotcha. So that's what I wanted. Okay, um, so similar to the European European exactly, Union. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think 
and I also think that like people got stuck on very ancillary characters um I don't care I mean it's not that I don't care about Danny but she wasn't the most important thing in the show the Starks were the most important Mm -hmm. thing in the show they're the family that we followed for all of these seasons the show began with them so I don't care how Danny I don't care like it's all about the Starks and all of the Stark children ended up where they were supposed to and you know to see a dire wolf you know on the the dire wolf sigil on the uh on the ships as Arya is going east that's a like that's a great thing like Mm -hmm. we we got you know we got the ending that we deserved so and if anybody begs to differ I will tell you to write your own fantasy novel get it produced by HBO and then you can come up with your own ending look at that look at that the the gauntlet is thrown down yeah uh, final couple of questions, Naomi. Well, and first off, before um, before we do the final questions, I I really appreciate you being here, and I really, really, uh, I really appreciate you supporting me in my artistic endeavors. Hey, um, yeah, I think you know one of the things you've you've been a great wife, a great partner. Hey, thank you. Uh, you are a fantastic mother. Hey, thanks. You're, yeah, you're. Yeah, I mean, I've I've told you how much you mean to me and how you're my soulmate and how everything that you are and everything that you embody is what I was looking for in a partner. Mm-hmm. Even the things that I don't like about you, those are the things that I wanted because hey. I knew that they would challenge me. Okay. Um, and I was I was really moved when it was. I guess it was my birthday when you got me the like the Amazon gift card. It was either my birthday or mm-hmm. our anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, yeah, but you got me an Amazon gift card, and you were like, you know, use this on oh, pursuing yeah. your yep. artistic endeavors. Yeah, yep. technically, you you said I should use it on purchasing equipment to make films. Yes, yeah, you know, but I I feel like the podcast is gonna mm-hmm. like get me to the films. Yeah. so uh, you know. So sh- shout out to Miranda July and uh, Noah Bombach for being, and John Cassavetes mm-hmm. for being uh, my three greatest influences in the world of film. Shout out to Naomi Robertson uh, or Naomi Robertson Reed, uh, however you want to slice it yeah. for supporting me. Uh, final two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are a self-described hip hop feminist. Yep. What are three books that really influenced your thinking in terms of hip-hop feminism mm-hmm. specifically. When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost by Joan Morgan. Uh, I'm going to murder this title, and I can't remember the author either, but it's uh, all, all the women are white, all the... Blacks are men, but some of us are brave. Okay. Um, it's, it, it, I think in the academic world, it's just, it's just, but some of us are brave, but that's the entire title. Gotcha. Um, and I would say my, the third book is um, The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um. We didn't 
touch on this necessarily, mm-hmm. but I know you, so I know that this is a thing. If someone could only watch three episodes of The Golden Girls to really get an understanding or, you know, to, to, to get like a good slice of that, of that, uh, Shady Pines. Is, is that where Sophia lived? Shady Pines? Yes, yes. To get that, that is Shady, shady Pines yeah, flavor? Shady, shady Pines retirement living. Um, oh, man. Jeez. You put me on the spot. I do this with everyone. And I, and I never tell anyone that I'm going to ask these questions because I want them to go with what the gut tells them. So <laughs> the first episode with Coco. Coco the, the uh, I don't even know what to call Coco. He's... Uh, the housekeeper made cook. Okay. So he was only in one episode. I've clearly never seen the this first episode. episode. Okay. Yep. Where uh, Blanche is dating a fellow who they turn who turns out to be a polygamist. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first episode with Coco because it's I think when did Golden Girls come out? I think it was before I was born, but to see, I think 81 maybe. Um, but to see a Coco was the first openly gay, one of the first openly gay characters that you, that you would see in, um, in a comedy. Gotcha. Um, especially a, like a prime time, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, coming on a little bit after Cosby show type of show. Uh, so that episode, the episode where uh, Dorothy is, she, because Dorothy is a substitute teacher, uh, substitute high school English teacher, and she uh, has a student who is like the star football player. Oh, yeah, I remember that episode. And she wants to give him a, a failing grade. Yeah. Uh, and then the 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 school's booster team leaves a dead fish on <laughs> on, on her, on the lanai, and they, they put, like, if such and such doesn't pass English class, Dorothy Spornak sleeps with the fishes. Um, and that's two. Um, and the episode, <laughs> the episode where... Uh, Stan's brother comes into town and uh, Blanche wants to date him, but him and Dorothy end up going out. Um, but then Dorothy realizes that uh, Stan's brother wants her to watch his new girlfriend's kids. Awesome. So that's why he was being so nice to her. Mm. So they were at a restaurant and she and Dorothy was like, you know, that, that fine. I'm not, I'm definitely not watching your new hussies, badass kids. But you know, I'll always keep that secret that you told me last night uh, to heart. And then she walks away and she goes to the major D uh, desk and picks up the microphone. And she was like, "I just would like to tell everybody that the man in the gray suit sitting at table number four is impotent. <laughs> bon appetit." <laughs> so yes, those are the three. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much for that, Naomi. That thank you was for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. This has been uh, a fantastic time. I hope it was. 
I hope it was enjoyable and yeah. not too nerve wracking. No, not at all. It was no. cool. I'm used. I'm used to this. I got this. You got this. You got this. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Let's uh, let's close down the show and uh, go feed our kid and yeah. uh, put yeah. him to bed. He's already fed, so we just got to put him to bed. Just got to put him to bed. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, See, maybe he might be already in bed. You never know. I swear I'm I'm a much more attentive father than I'm seeing he is. in this no, he recording. Is. He but, absolutely uh, is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Nomi. Hey, you're welcome. Peace out.